0: Today's scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it in the backside of your message notes or on page 843 and 844 in your worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able. Colossians 2, verses 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried in him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you... Who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgive us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and in him. Chapter 3 verse 1 If then you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on things that are above not on th- not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden within Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory This is the word of God you may be seated.
1: Thank you, Pat. I appreciate <clears throat> I appreciate that. We, we are in the season of the year called Tide, and in my own church tradition, we never paid a lot of attention to Eastertide. We just never did. We thought about Lent a little bit, and we came into Easter. We had Good Friday, and we had Easter Sunday. And then on next week, we're kind of just back to regular church. But in doing so, we were ignoring a whole thousand or 1500 year tradition in the church of taking time to think about the resurrection of Jesus more than just one day per year. And I bet some of you would say, yeah, you know, that's kind of true. A lot of the churches that we've gone to, Easter's done and now it's into the next series on motherhood or on parenthood or whatever. Well, there's a reason why this season is called Easter tide because Easter Resurrection Sunday is the single most important and radical day in the history of the universe. It's the day when the then God, who had been made into man, came to live on this earth and died under the weight of human sin, that was on Friday, but rose victoriously out of it on Easter Sunday morning. And something totally changed that day, and it was because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the resurrection which affirmed the, the fulfillment, uh, the, the satisfaction that God had with the sacrifice that God himself had made in the person of Jesus on that cross. It was the resurrection which affirmed and confirmed the the reality of forgiveness for all of Israel and all of the world's sins up until that time and beyond that time. A new chapter unfolded that day, and everything changed. It was the resurrection of Jesus which ultimately became the message, the death and resurrection of Jesus, which utterly changed the world. And so it went that within about 20 or 30 years. There are communities of Jesus all over the eastern Mediterranean that had begun to affirm the lordship, the, their allegiance to Jesus as their lord, not Caesar as their lord. Jesus being fundamentally their lord. And so they gathered on what was called the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection. The, J, the day which John 21 refers to as the, excuse me, John twenty refers to as the first day of the week, twice, reminding us that on the first day of the week, as on the first day of creation, God who said, let there be light, and there was evening and the morning, the first day, Is letting us know that there is a brand new day which has happened because of the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus was raised and new life had begun on that day. And so we have this celebration of the resurrection during the whole period, 40 days following Easter, called Eastertide. So I have been taking these last few weeks to do some resurrection Reflections for you and it 's been a, a an inspiring journey for me, and I hope for you as well, as we've thought about the glorious implications of the resurrection, for as you 've heard me say if you 've been in the last couple of weeks, while the resurrection does affirm the deity of Jesus and it does affirm the completed work of Jesus in sacrificing himself on a cross for our sins, it does affirm the reality of life after death, it doesn 't just have implications for the past, my past forgiveness. And for my future, my future destiny, it has implications for my life right here and right now. It affects me right now. In fact, pausing to remember the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and what it meant is at the core of what the Christian worship is all about. That's what we've come to do fundamentally. You may have come for many reasons, and your church that you've gone to, and our church when you've gone, you may have shown up for a lot of different reasons, but the fundamental reason we gather is to join once a week with all creation in that heavenly song of worship which takes place around the clock when they sing their worship to the God God. The lion who became a lamb, who was slain for our sin, who was rose victorious. Read about it in Revelation 4 and 5. We come to remember that story because that is the fundamental story which shapes the heart of those who are followers of Jesus. You see, the resurrection of Jesus gave to the world and to us who respond in faith to him A brand new identity. If you notice when Pat was reading those words, it says that when Jesus was made alive, so too were you. You were dead. You were made alive. And now that you're alive, start living like it. That's really what Paul is saying to these believers in Colossae in this letter written called the Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. We could say these people, these believers in Cave Creek, the letter to the Creekers. Wouldn't it be great if you could say, turn to Creekers 3? (laughs) Well, in a lot of ways, you're kind of doing that. That's what we're doing. These words, which were recorded, were written not just for the first century, but for us. And it's basically saying, guys, you've been made alive. You have a brand new identity. Now, learn to live out of that new identity, not that old identity. Learn to live to be the, the new human life, which God has birthed in you. The kind of human life which Adam had before he was marred by human rebellion. The kind of human life that Adam and Eve had when they lived in fellowship with one another. They lived in fellowship with God. They lived in fellowship with creation. They didn't abuse creation. They used it to glorify God, to bring fruitfulness to this whole world. They didn't abuse their relationships. They loved one another, and they walked in fellowship with God. They didn't live in hiding. They were open. It says they were naked and not ashamed. But what happened? When the image was marred, their eyes were turned inward on themselves, they saw they were naked, they covered themselves up, they hid in the garden, they blamed God, they blamed one another, and they began to abuse creation as as they have all ever since. Today is commonly called Earth Day, and a lot of Christians don't want to celebrate Earth Day. Shame on us. (laughs) Earth Day is a good day. God loves this earth. He made this earth, and he called it what? Very good. Very good and didn't say i changed my mind i don't like it anymore he didn't do that and in fact a whole part of the whole uh, drama of redemption is to restore what was broken by human rebellion to make these humans the kind of humans he meant for them to be So they could provide the kind of stewardship he meant for them to provide over this earth, which now groans, Romans 8 says, until that final day when it will be remade as well. Yes, we celebrate that God's story, which began in the garden, goes all the way through the cross into a new garden in a new city where there is a garden ultimately well, in, the heavenly, in the heavenly city. There's a whole new identity. God is trying to restore what is marred. And so we have this little church there in Colossae who have not really had a background in the Jewish faith. They're not Jewish people, really. Uh, They're trying to follow Jesus, and they're having trouble figuring out how to apply the gospel to their day-to-day lives. And that's what Paul is writing this letter for. He wants them to understand that the resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus was raised from the dead, they too were given a brand new life. So let's take a look at this text. This is sort of a, uh, a sermon that kind of has to do with this whole book in one setting, but I just want to give you a sense of it. And let's look at this, this text uh, under two headings today. Number one, Paul wants them to know their true identity And number two, he wants them to build a new mentality. So to us, we would say God wants us today to know our true identity. And out of that knowledge build a new mentality. Know your true identity. In our section of the scripture, which which Pat read for you, the last portion of it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. At the center of the identity which he is calling to them, calling them to is an identity which is found in Christ. Like you might have said to your kids, as I did to my kids sometimes, I said, I don't care what all the other church people are doing. I don't care what all the other kids are doing. You are a Gilbertson, and this is the way Gilbertsons act. They respect their parents. They don't go to movies their parents don't let them go to. I don't care what all the others do. What was I trying to do? I never actually said that. No, actually, I did actually say that. (laughs) Hopefully, I said it a little nicer than that, but chances are I probably didn't. There were times when I wanted my kids to know that we had an identity. We had a family name. We had a way. We want to live life the Gilbertson way, right? The apostle Paul was writing to them, you have a new identity, and your identity is found in Christ. You were raised with Christ. What is he saying? When Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised up too. He's saying that's what your baptism reminds you of, the resurrection of Jesus. You're identifying with him in his resurrection. Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above Now, that doesn't mean pay no attention to the earthly realities. That's sometimes we make that mistake. We'll get to that in a minute. But it means let your mind be energized by that uh, identity, the identity with Christ, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The idea is that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's the whole point of the ascension. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. He's seated at the right hand of God, exercising His lordship over this earth. And He's basically saying to them, as if they are ambassadors living in a foreign country on their own soil they have a different flag in that country seek God, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He's the true master, the true Lord. You belong to him. So seek after him. And then he says, where you seated, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The old you died, and there's a new you that happens out of Christ's resurrected life. When Christ, it says in verse 4, who is your life. I love that phrase Christ, who is your life. He didn't say there were no qualifications about that. I mean, if they'd placed their faith in Christ, he was their life. He didn't say if you're really spiritual, really good, Christ will be your life. No, he's saying your whole life is found up with Christ. And when he returns to this earth, when he appears, when he shows himself again on this earth, you also will appear with him in glory. Another passage says we will have a glorified body just like his. What does all of this mean? It means that the starting point for learning how to apply the resurrection to your life, the starting point for knowing how to live a fundamentally different and more human life, the original God designed life, is to understand that my true identity is found in Christ. It's not even found in my surname, Gilbertson. It's not found in my family. It's not found in my work. It's not found in my nationality. It's not found in my uh, uh, my citizenship. In fact, all of these words, he says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, for you're all one in Christ, a brand new humanity. He's saying that our identity is found in that. It's so easy for us to find our identity in things which are not Fundamentally true for ourselves. I've had to go through this at various times. As a lot of you know, there was a time when I had tried to start a church, the church failed, and I found myself for the first time in my life without a job and without a church home. And it was frightening. It was frightening. It was scary. I don't even like to think about it. And for a long period, that's how it felt for me. But it also forced me to ask myself hard questions What is my true identity? Is my true identity found in the fact that people call me Pastor Steve? Is my true identity found in my vocation, in the respect that others might give to me? Others of you have found yourself, uh, finding your identity in yourself as a, 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 healthy, uh, a healthy person, and you can just go out and do stuff, but now you've found your health is deteriorating. Is your true identity found in your health? See, the only identity which cannot be taken from you is your identity in Christ. You can have that even if Alzheimer's takes your memory of everything else. You can have that. And I find myself so comforted by that, so comforted by that, because I've seen that happen in my family when I knew that there was no more communication that could happen person to person in the family, but I always believed that God was able to communicate His love. Always believe that. Be encouraged by that. The way I look at it, if I'm holding a six-day-old baby in my arms and I'm his mother or father or grandfather or grandmother, I know that baby knows he's loved right there. I know. Even though that baby has no words to describe it, no way to express it, no cognizant impression of it, I know that baby knows that baby. I am able to communicate my love. And I believe that God is able to communicate his love to a baby as well and that God is able to communicate his love even at the end of life when all other forms of communication seem to be gone. My true identity is found in Christ from birth until death. It's all found in him. And my identity is not found by the size of my bank book. A lot of you went through what I went through in 2008, 2009 when you found out that all your assets were kind of gone. Assets gone, income gone, right? And a lot of us had to ask ourselves, is my identity found in my savings, my pocketbook, the respect of other people? Is my identity found even, some might say, in the relationship which has been taken away from me when I lost a husband or a wife or when a child refuses to talk to me? Do I have an identity deeper than those identities. See, all of those things are good things, but they were never meant to be ultimate things. When you let a good thing become an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. It's a good thing, but only if it is underneath the ultimate thing. That's why the first commandment says thou shalt uh, the first commandment says uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's why today we say Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our true identity is found in Christ. So we see that this text teaches us three things about our true identity, about Christ and our true identity, that through the resurrection, Christ's death was my death. Christ's death was my death. Chapter 3 and verse 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or chapter 2 and verse 12, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you are also raised. And verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive. There was a death that Jesus died on Calvary, and when I trust in him, I recognize that his death was not just for himself alone, but it was for you and me. My own my own guilt for my own sin was paid for and judged there on that cross. His death was my death. The power of evil which Let's face it, you feel it in your life today. If you're a follower of Jesus, it has no real power over you. It has no, it died that day. You see, the Bible teaches us that when Jesus died, the old me was gone. There was a new me inside of me. And I see it often as kind of being like a seed planted in my heart that seems to bear no fruit just yet. But I had to believe it's there. I had to believe there's a selfless Steve that can live beyond the selfish Steve. There's a loving Steve that is not so self-oriented, yes. If the selfish, self-centered me is dead, it has no power over me. I am no longer a slave to it. My past is forgiven. I no longer need to fear it, be victimized by it, be driven by its guilt. The old me is dead. And so a lot of A lot of us are in this situation. There's certain habits or attitudes or ways of living that are just so almost intrinsic to our character. It's almost as if we cannot be another way. Whenever that thing comes in front of us, we will always do it. We just will do it. And we've been doing it so long, we follow that habit of following, and it begins to have a life of itself over us. The resurrection, the death of Jesus Christ Kills the power of that evil behavior, of that evil thought, of that evil way of acting. It has no real power over you. Your walking into it is just a habit. Just a habit. It has no power over you. The old you is dead. Inside, you may find yourself in, uh, in habits of patterns in your marriage that are very destructive, that are very difficult, and it's just like, I don't know how to be any different than this. The first thing you need to know is if you're a follower of Jesus, that old you is dead. It has no real power over you. Your past is forgiven. You no longer need to give into that. Christ's death was my death. And secondly, Christ's resurrection was my resurrection. Christ's resurrection was my resurrection. If then, it says in chapter 3, you have have been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. And in chapter 2, and verse 20, it says, "...in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead." you see what happens there? When I place my faith in the God who raised Jesus of the dead, I, too, am raised up in that faith. I have a new life. And you, it says in the next ver- uh, verse, uh, verse uh, 13, "...who were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh." God has made alive together with Him. Think about that. God has made us alive together with Him. That's what He says is true about my identity. I am a new person. I am not that person. I may have been living under the illusion of having been that person for all this time, but I am no longer bound by that. It's just a lie and it's ingrained habit, and God can help me to break that. The old me died when Jesus died, and I placed my trust in him. The new me has come when I placed my faith in the God who raised him from the dead. As Jesus was raised to new life, I, too, have a new life. As Jesus defeated sin and selfishness, I, too, am no longer under the power of sin and selfishness. Christ's resurrection was my resurrection. Or as we've looked at other weeks, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, a lot of you who've been in church a long time have heard that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 5 17. If any was in Christ is new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you always heard it, and maybe it was even said this way as purely an evangelistic verse. How to turn you from being a non-Christian into a Christian. That if I trust in Christ, I'm made a new creation. And there's certainly truth to that. But when Paul wrote that book, that he was not just talking about how to get into heaven, he was talking about what had happened to you when he responded to Jesus. You became someone new. You have a new identity. A lot of you have had this happen either to yourself or to someone else. In fact, I was talking to someone just this past week, how that he went into the military as one person, and six weeks later out of boot camp, He came out a different person. He was just a different person. And you've seen that with relatives of yours. Oh, you send this scrawny kid or gal to school, disrespectful and uh, slouching, all that, and then you go see them after that, and they're standing straight. Their heads are shaved. (laughs) Yes, sir. No, sir. They've become a new person. In the same way, we have to realize that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we have become a new person. Yes. So, Christ's death was my death. Christ's resurrection was my resurrection. Christ's life is my life. I have that life within me. I've got to believe it. I will never I, I will never begin to act that way until I believe it. And it even says that Christ's glory is my glory. I, too, will someday have a body like his, a body which is not ravaged by the the sinful tendencies which have its way in my heart. I'm still in the middle of that already-not-yet period. I'm in the middle of that. Someday, though, that day will be gone. His destiny was mine. I like this little prayer from Gregory of Nazianzus, a bishop in the, in the fourth century A.D. Yesterday I was crucified with Christ. Today I am glorified with Him. Yesterday I was dead with Christ. Today I am sharing in His resurrection. Yesterday I was buried with him. Today I am waking with him from the sleep of death. Now that would be a good prayer to pray every morning, wouldn't it? Yesterday I was crucified with Christ. Today I'm glorified with him. Yesterday I was dead with Christ. Today I am sharing in his resurrection. Yesterday I was buried with him. Today I am waking with him. From the sleep of death. You see, I am no longer trapped by my old identity. I am no longer limited to my own resources. I am no longer under the authority of my selfish desires. I belong to Christ. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a free man, a free woman under Christ. Everything old has passed away. Today there's a new day. This day is a new day. Today is resurrection day for me, right? I'm a brand new person. I have a brand new life. The old me is gone me is here. Why do I keep repeating that? Because that's what you got to do. You got to keep telling yourself the truth to replace all the lies that are happening out there. Yeah. I used this illustration once before. Maybe it's a way of thinking about it. Um, and, uh, you know, if you were to decide today that you wanted to go stay at the… I, I checked this this morning before I came here. If you were to go decide today that you're going to stay at the Marriott by Mayo, you know, that Marriott that's down next to Mayo, I looked it up today. Now, you may get a better deal, but on their website, it's going to cost you $244 to go there tonight. If I decide to go there, it will cost me $55. Are you jealous? You should be. You should be. I can go on the website, I can say I'm going to stay at the mail tonight, I'm going to stay for $55 and they'll come and they'll just let me stay there and I'll be next to you, you'd pay $240 to stay at the same place, yeah? Why is that? Because I have some kind of an end or whatever? No, it's because of Donna, my wife. She works for the Marriott and so she has the opportunity when there's availability and there is tonight, maybe we'll do it just tonight, just to, snoot, just to pour your nose in it, Right? rugby knows what I should say. Because of my connection with her as her husband, and this benefit is available to our children who say to us, mom, don't you ever quit working at the Marriott. (laughs) And to my mother who says it even more than they do. Uh, Because of my identity as her husband, I have the privilege of staying there at a much, much reduced rate. No, we can't go everywhere that cheaply. You don't get the wrong impression. But, uh, but in, in any case, because I belong to her, I have a different identity. Mayo doesn't look to me as if I'm Steve walking off the street looking for a room. It looks to me as if I'm Steve's husband who's walking off the street. Steve's husband. You know what I meant to say. I am Donna's husband, who, because of my connection with her, now have an identity I'm seen as an altogether different person. And if you are in Christ, you have special privilege too. You have a new identity. You have a new life, a new family, a new future, a new inheritance. Everything about you is new, but it's not because of you. It's because of Jesus, because you're in Christ. In fact, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. So when you say to yourself, I have a new identity, I'm no longer that selfish person, you're not patting yourself on your back because he you knows not about you. It's because I died when Christ died, and I, by my faith in him, have raised up in his life, I have a new identity. God looks at me with the identity of Jesus, and I have all the rights, privileges, prerogatives, and ultimate inheritance of Jesus by the fact that my name is his name. In many ways, the challenge of living the Christian life is learning to believe who you really are, learning to believe it, that you have the opportunity to be a different person. And to do that, you need, secondly, then, I would say, to build a new mentality, to build a new mentality. Know your true identity and build a new mentality. Notice what is happening in those verses at the end of the some of you English people know that there's a difference between the indicative and the imperative. The indicative and the imperative. No, you were an English major, but you probably don't remember this, do you? <laughs> right? Uh, the indicative or the imperative. The indicative says that you are, you have, you are. It denotes a move expressing a mood expressing a simple statement of fact. That's an indicative. An imperative, it denotes a mood that is a command or an exhortation. It's a command or an exhortation. If you notice in this text, there are indicatives and imperatives. It says there, you, the indicatives are these, you have been raised, verse 1. Verse 3, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, a simple statement of fact. You, uh, verse 4, you will share in his glory. These are the indicatives. And then there are some imperatives, which are these. Therefore, he says, seek the things that are above and set your mind on things above. The imperative comes out of the indicative. Because of who you are, therefore, set your mind on these things. Cultivate a new mentality. He's saying, since these things are true, you died, you've been raised, your life is hidden with Christ and God, then, he says, Set your mind on the things above, or we might say, build a new mentality. Seek to replace the false messages about your identity with the true messages of who you are in Christ. Reflect, ponder, contemplate, meditate, ruminate on the truth of these matters. My old self is dead. Why do I let it keep controlling me? It's dead. I know it's dead. But don't just focus on the negative. Focus also on the positive. I also know my new self is alive because of Christ. Lord Jesus, who was raised from the dead, raised me out of this death. Set your mind on things above. Think about them. Fix your attention on them. Uh, and so let me give you a few practical suggestions about this that come out of this text, Okay. How can I begin to do that? Well, one of the things, you've done it by listening to me talk about this, this new identity that we have in Christ. But this isn't enough. You've got to go beyond here. You've got, to re- you've got these old tapes running in your mind, the old habits running in your mind. And they just, your, your, your body just goes down a certain rut all the time. and Before you know it, you're there. It you just goes. And so you've got to be conscious. You've got to take charge of your own life. You need to put new things in your life, build new habits into it. Okay? So, Practical suggestions. Number one, receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, I didn't make it up. It's right there. As you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. If you've never responded in faith to Jesus, that's where it starts. Go to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, I believe your death was for my sin. Your death was for my selfishness. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for that. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. And so you give to me forgiveness for my past. Hope for my future and a new life for my life today. I trust in you. I receive. Or someone said to me earlier this week, a better word is the word surrender. Surrender to Christ Jesus as your Lord. If you've never placed your faith in him, start there. Next. Next. Baptism, if you've not been baptized as an evidence of your faith in Christ, you did see that when she read it, chapter 2 and verse 12, having been buried with him and baptized, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. If you've never been obedient to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism, do that as the first act of your newfound faith in Christ. Or if you've been a follower of Jesus and have neglected that, do that. Obey Jesus in that respect. You'll find it to be a meaningful and glorious experience, and no one has as great a baptism of service as the church at the chip. When we bring a horse trough in here and we throw you underneath it and hope you come out. Thirdly, get in a group. Find a group. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Notice what it says. I didn't have space to print this whole text, but in the rest of chapter 3, it tells about all these things we ought to do, but among them, in the 13th verse, he says, bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against one another, quit the group. No, 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 that's not what it said. That's what we do, right? I, we get into a small group, and we, and, and we start to have to bear with one another, and so we say, I'm going to find another small group. No, the whole point of being in a small group is to have people who make you upset so you can get over it. That's not exactly true, but it's partly true. Bearing with one another. uh, And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you. Oh, you only have to forgive as much God forgave you, so you can stop someday, right? No. Forgive like God has forgiven you. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called as one body. Find a place and say, I may not like you or you may not like me, but here we are. We're a family. I'm being a little facetious about this, uh, but I do want to say that sometimes that's part of the point of being in a group of people. Fine. We have four different groups. We'll have more in the fall, we hope. We can get one of those here. Start your own. That was the third thing. The fourth thing, daily times of Scripture reading and prayer, daily times of Scripture, reading, and prayer. You need to fill your hearts with the Word of God. You need to play the music of the gospel in your heart. You've got to have it soak its way into your life so that you can put new tracks over those old tracks which always run you in the wrong identity questions. Yeah. Something I've loved doing over the last six months is following the ancient Christian tradition of praying and reading the daily office every day. And if you would like to join me in that project, I'll tell you how you can do it. Every day, I'm guided as I read through a a psalm or two, an Old Testament text or two, a New Testament epistle, which, by the way, is this text today. Really? Or maybe it was yesterday. You know, Colossians 2 and 3. It was yesterday, now that I think of it and a New Testament gospel every day, every day, and read prayers, and and it's something that's been meaningful to me. If you want to do it, I'll tell you how. That was the fourth thing, fifth, corporate worship. Look at what it says in chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And here it is, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We have such a beautiful picture of worship here. It involves singing, you know. Even though the sermon is important, it's not more important than the sung Scripture. I guess I'm not going to go very far. I'm stuck in here. Um, Than the sung sung Scripture. Singing psalms and hymns, and so, so songs. we need to sing the songs about the story. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts and fears and fears dismay. My rising, right? I forgot, you know, that, that line was great. I thought I was just saying through it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the scripture. We read the scripture at least twice every Sunday. And the sermon which teaches the scripture, it says, admonishing one another with all wisdom. And those having those teach the scriptures among you. And then also spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. You know what the word for thankfulness is? It is the word Eucharist. You know what the Eucharist is? It's the giving thanks. You know what it talks about? The thanks we give for the sacrifice Jesus gave, which is how we'll close our time here today. That's why at Church of the Chip, we have the Eucharist every week. We close with the Lord's table. It is our act of having an altar call every Sunday where we come before the one who gave his life for us, and we thank him for what he did. And when we take the day, we will eat the bread and the cup, and we'll be reminded that the bread and the cup in his death Our sin nature was done away with as well. And as he was raised from the dead, we have a new new life. So I invite you to think on these things to make sure that you have received Christ as Lord, that you have been baptized in obedience to Christ, that you're part of a group of people who are learning how to love one another and study the Scriptures together, that you have a personal daily time of Scripture reading and prayer. You know, my my recommendation is don't don't read Scripture any more often than you eat. Don't get too carried away. But always read it as much as you eat. Okay? So that's a good rule of thumb. Okay? And uh, in the message... And then the coming together for the, 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 the worship time together. These are such important. They're part of the natural rhythm of what it means to live a Christian life. This is what it means that since we have been raised with Christ, we seek the things that are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Let's have prayer while we close. Lord Jesus, we're grateful and thankful that while the old self still hides away in the corners of our lives, it has no ultimate power over us. It does not have it. It's a lie. And yet, the more we give in to that, the more it begins to become true by default. But today, as we have the Lord's table, we respond in faith to the death of Jesus Christ, wherein our old self was died. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ wherein our new self was made alive through Jesus Christ. And help us every day through the acts of scripture reading and corporate worship and small group times together. Help us every day to put on the new self. Yesterday we were dead. Today we're alive. Help us to live that new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.